Well, good day, everybody. Today is our end, our conclusion of the happiness around Lake City. Well, the happiness series around Lake City. Not the end of the happiness. As today we're talking about everlasting happiness. All right, so grab your sermon notes. Uh, be ready to, to follow along. We're excited about the happiness series and what God has been teaching us over the last uh, couple of months. I'm going to actually recap that for you as we, as we get started where we've been. So week number one, Reg kicked off our series by talking about happiness like you've never known. He highlighted the fact that God has wired us for happiness, to seek after happiness, to experience it. He's, that's just how he created us. And also that happiness is a synonym for joy. Happy and joyful and glad and delighted are, are simply different facets of the same emotion. The Bible does not make a distinction between them. Joy is not more spiritual than happiness and so on. In fact, until the 20th century, those words were basically used interchangeably. Happiness like you've never known. Week number two, we talked about the question, is God happy? And the answer is an, a resounding Absolutely yes. God is happy. And not only that, he invites us to enter into his happiness, to join him in it. Week number three, we talked about from legalism to liberty. Legalism is an attitude, it's a mentality of trying to earn the favor of God by the things that we do, by our works. Legalism is the opposite of grace, and it steals our happiness. It steals our happiness. Week number four, Tom preached about happiness and golden calves. He spoke about idol, idols, the fact that we're hardwired to find our happiness in God alone. So idols devastate our ability to receive true happiness. Weeks five and six were the Transform Initiative. We talked about the fact that happiness is a byproduct, byproduct of serving others and giving generously. It's an important aspect of happiness to understand. And then... Week number seven was David's message called Bulletproofing Your Happiness. And he, he highlighted the fact that we can't depend upon our circumstances or let our circumstances dictate our happiness because God works all things together for good. We need not choose between holiness and happiness either. In fact, lasting happiness is found only in God and in pursuing holiness through him. Last week, of course, we took the break as we uh, gave a salute to veterans with Stu Weber. We had a wonderful weekend last week with Stu. And today is our final message on happiness. And the small group video that we're looking forward to seeing is called The Happiness of Heaven. The good news of the gospel is all lasting happiness comes from God. And it does last forever. In other words, for a Christian, the best is yet to come. And that, too, has an impact on how we experience happiness here today. Perhaps you've heard the story about the lady who passed away, but before she did, she left these very detailed instructions for her pastor and for her funeral director. And she told them exactly how she wanted her service to go down, how she wanted to be presented in the casket, what she wanted to be wearing, what kind of flowers that she wanted to be there for her service, what songs she wanted to be sung. But but she also had this one very unusual request that was different than they had ever heard before. The woman was to be presented in the casket, hands folded on her chest, holding a fork. 
to write a fork. And as you can imagine, no one could quite figure out as they filed past the casket why in the world she was doing that. This was back in the day or in the part of the country where, where everyone filed by the open casket before the service began. And when the pastor got up to preach his message, he reminded them of uh, the, the, how oftentimes after a nice dinner, the host of the dinner will say, uh, uh, if, keep your, don't forget to keep your fork if you want dessert, right? And she, he reminded uh, everyone of this woman's fondness for desserts after a good meal and how she'd lived a very exemplary Christian life. And then he explained the, what the deal was with the fork, that she had asked to be presented holding a fork sort of as a symbol, like, like dessert following a good meal, that the best is yet to come. And that's what she believed, the best is yet to come. Listen, for genuine Christ followers, these days here today are not our best days. The best by far is yet to come. Amen. And the reason for that is because heaven is no fairy tale. So let's start there. Heaven is no fairy tale. It's, it's not an unrealistic dream. It's not some kind of a fantasy that we just hope for. Heaven is a solid expectation secured by the, the blood-bought promise of Jesus himself. After making the pledge that we would go to heaven and be with him there someday, Jesus said this. He said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. These words are trustworthy and true. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, this is my promise, so you can count on this. In the play, Our Town, which won a Pulitzer Prize back in 1938, one of the characters of the play said this. Now, there are some things we all know, but we don't take them out and look at them very often. We all know that something is eternal, and it ain't houses, and it ain't names, and it ain't the earth, and it ain't even the stars. Everybody knows in their bones that something is eternal, and that something has to do with human beings. There's something way down deep that's eternal about every human being. I like that, and I agree. In fact, Scripture confirms that very thing when it tells us that God has put eternity in the human heart. God sets eternity in our hearts. A.W. Tozer, the famous pastor and author of a previous generation, wrote this. He said, when the followers of Jesus Christ lose their interest in heaven... They will no longer be happy Christians. And when they are no longer happy Christians, they cannot be a powerful force in a sad and sinful world. So I'd ask you, have you lost your hope in heaven, your interest in heaven? See, heaven is central to the gospel message of forgiveness and eternal life. And we can't expect to grow strong in our faith or strong in our witness without our focus secure on our hope of heaven. So what I want to do next is I want to consider what Jesus taught about the connection of happiness in heaven as we turn our thoughts to Matthew chapter 25. Let's, let's look at God's word and what Jesus taught in the parable of the talents. Matthew 25, beginning at verse 14. So for most of you, I know this is a very familiar parable, and it's a rather long one. So I want to condense it for you into several sentences, all right? Jesus said that there was this master who was going away on a long journey. And so he calls three of his servants in, and he entrusts his wealth to them. 
To one of his servants, he gives five talents. To another servant, he gives two. And to the last servant, he gives one talent. Now, a talent was a weight or a quantity of money back in that day. Some have said it's probably worth 15 to 20 years of wages for an average person. So the master was leaving a lot of money with these servants. In fact, what he told them was, do business with this until I return. Invest this for me until I come back. And then he went away. Later, after a long period of time, though, he comes back. And when he came back from his journey, he, he called for an accounting. And the servants who had invested wisely, he rewarded. And the one who did not invest, he condemned. And in a nutshell, that's the parable of the talents. It's a very practical parable. The master pictures God himself, and the servants picture us. It applies to our lives because it indicates what God expects of us, and it indicates how God will treat us and how he may react to us. And we could take the entire message today to unpack this parable. We've done that before. But today I want to just focus in on one part of it. I want to focus on what the master said to the servants who were faithful to use what had been entrusted to them. I've no idea how many talents the master has entrusted to you, but I guarantee that he has given every one of us a stewardship. And that stewardship, that, that those talents include money and possessions. It includes our gifts and our talents, our abilities. It includes the time that we have in our life here. And so this parable speaks to each and every one of us here. Plus, I want you to listen on to how Jesus pictures heaven, because ultimately that's what we're looking at. Listen to the commendation that Jesus gave to his servant. Specifically, I'm going to be reading about the second servant that he responds to. All right, this is verses 22 and 23. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Notice that phrase, enter into the joy of your master. Some translations say, Come and share your master's happiness. That Greek word translated joy or happiness is the word kara. And it represents a whole host of English words that it is sometimes translated into, usually joy, but others as well. One English Greek dictionary says that kara means a state of joy, gladness, or extreme happiness. A couple of things I want you to notice or think about the parable that, that I just went through with you. First of all, we don't have to work up our own happiness because Jesus invites us to enter into his happiness. And the second thing is, I want you to think about how he described heaven, that heaven is a place of great happiness. That's how Jesus describes it. He says, come and share your master's happiness. Other, other places, he describes heaven as a, as a wedding feast. And so I want to say it again to you. Heaven is no fairy tale. It's a very real place. And someday, if you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will be there with him. And you'll have the opportunity to enter into your master's happiness. And I can't think of anything I would rather hear from Jesus on that day 
then well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Can you? How we live today determines what we will experience on that day. It really will. And the offer is there for all to come and share our master's happiness. Furthermore, since heaven is no fairy tale, that means that we can throw away our bucket list. All right, throw away your bucket list. That term bucket list was popularized by the 2007 movie of the same name. And it refers to a list of things that people want to do before they kick the bucket, right? And the idea is that since our time on earth is limited, that we have to do certain things now before we die because this life is our only opportunity. That's how some people think. And that makes sense from a secular worldview, one that doesn't recognize any afterlife. It also makes sense from various religious worldviews that don't believe in a physical resurrection or any continuity from this life to the next. The one worldview in which the bucket list makes no sense of all, though, is biblical Christianity. Don't misunderstand. I, I enjoy life. Jackie and I love to go places and, and learn new things and see new, new things and try new experiences. And I don't think there's anything wrong with, uh, with that or having a list of things that you'd like to do if God gives you the resources and the strength and the permission to do that before you die. But that's a little different than the bucket list mentality, which is that this life is my only chance to enjoy certain adventures and fun because that flies in the face of biblical teaching about the resurrection. And yet many people I talk to sort of have a bucket list mentality even now. And this is so important because for a Christian, the resurrection of the body is one of our brightest hopes. It means that we will live with the anticipation of a new and a perfect world to come. A world that is alive and it's fresh and it's beautiful. We live in anticipation of a world without pain and without suffering and without war. A world without disease and accident and tragedy. A world without dictators and madmen and terrorists. A world ruled by the only one worthy of ruling. And that's what the resurrection of the body guarantees for us. So let's think about the resurrection of the body a little bit. Here's an example of what the Bible teaches about it. This is from the, the lips of Jesus recorded in John chapter 5. The Father has life in himself, and he has granted that same life-giving power to his Son, and he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the Son of Man. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. Jesus spoke these words in the context of the resurrection of all mankind and their judgment someday. The Bible clearly teaches here and in many places the truth of the bodily resurrection of every person. And the resurrection is a great promise, especially for us as Christians, to hold on to as we look toward the future. 
So here's another example of the teaching about the resurrection, this time from the pen of Paul. Paul wrote, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Notice that phrase, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. You know, despite the centrality of the resurrection in the word of God and throughout church history, many Christians have never been clearly taught its meaning. And because of that, I think many Christians sort of imagine we're going to be living forever in this disembodied state. In other words, without a physical body. But the Bible teaches we're going to have real bodies in heaven, similar to Jesus' resurrection body. He will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. We will live in a very real place called heaven. Richard Baxter was a 17th century Puritan pastor who wrote the greatest book on heaven in his day. And in it, he reminded his readers that our happiness in anything must take into account the duration of that happiness. Because even the most intense happiness of someone's life amounts to nothing if in the end he's not happy forever. So the duration of our happiness is very, very important. You see, in God's plan, creation, the creation will one day be delivered into a state of perfection and complete happiness. Creation will be liberated from its bondage to sin and decay and brought into the freedom and into the glory of God's original plan. And happiness will be the lifeblood of our resurrected lives because Jesus Christ will be the center of everything. And just when we think, man, it doesn't get any better than this, it will. If we come to understand the biblical doctrine of the resurrection and all that goes along with it, we will find the happiness we all wish for. So let's be sure to understand it and to have the assurance that indeed the best is yet to come. Well, as I said, the typical view of heaven is that we'll be spirits sort of floating around without bodies. But that's not only completely contrary to the Word of God, it, it also obscures the far richer truth about our future happiness on a new earth. So let's consider the future happiness on the new earth that the Bible speaks of. You know, at the end of the movie, the movie version of Tolkien's Return of the King, Bilbo Baggins, now old, now decrepit, is invited to board a ship and to sail from Middle Earth to Valinor, which ultimately is a picture of heaven. When he gets that invitation, he smiles, and as the youthful energy returns in his eyes, he says, I think I'm quite ready for another adventure. I agree with Randy's thoughts about heaven when he says this. For the Christian, death is not the end of our adventure, but our exit from a world where dreams and adventures shrink and our entrance into a far better world where dreams and adventures ever expand. Think about that. Amen. God promises us eternal life in resurrected bodies on a new earth where we will never again be influenced by sin and by suffering. Instead, we will be more capable than ever to worship, 
to have friendship, to love and discover and work and play and have happiness than ever before. And the best part of our resurrected lives on the new earth will be seeing God face to face, seeing him. Revelation 22 puts it like this. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face. They will see his face. If you've ever been separated from a loved one for any length of time, you know how great it is to get a letter from them or how wonderful it is to talk to them on the phone, but you also know that what you really hope and long for is to see them face to face, to be united with them. Because God is the source of all happiness and because he is himself forever happy, to gaze upon his face will be to enter into everlasting happiness. One of the greatest gifts that we can give our children and our grandchildren is to teach them the biblical doctrines of the resurrection and of the new earth and let them know what heaven is going to be like so they can look forward to it as well. Amen. So there's really, there's really nothing very exciting about going to heaven and being a disembodied spirit, right? Who, I mean, who wants to be a spirit? Maybe some kids are eager to dress up as a ghost, you know, for Halloween, but nobody is really excited about being a spirit forever, a disembodied spirit. Listen, God has made us to be physical beings living in a physical world. And that's the promise of the resurrection and the new earth. That's what the Bible says. Revelation 21 beautifully portrays it for us like this. Listen to this, what we have to look forward to in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. You know, we normally think of going up to heaven to live with God in his home. And indeed, that is what happens after we die. Our spirits depart from our bodies and they go to heaven. But the ultimate promise, that's not how we will be forever because that's the intermediate state. The ultimate promise is that we will be resurrected to new bodies and God will come down to us and he will live with us in our place on a brand new earth. Imagine the delight of Jesus' disciples when he spoke to them about that. Listen to this conversation from Matthew 19. Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you, have been my, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. What I want to focus on is that phrase that he said, when the world is made new. Literally, that's at the renewal of all things. You see, Christ's plan is not to destroy or abandon his creation, his, this earth. His plan is to renew it, to restore the heavens and the earth back to God's original plan. It's what Peter referred to in his sermon in Acts chapter 3. 
Listen to what Peter preached. He said, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. For he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. Notice that he said that Jesus must remain in heaven until what? Until the final restoration of all things. On, on this yet future day, Jesus will recreate the heavens and the earth. And we will live with him on the new earth, the Bible says. God's original plan included human beings living happy and fulfilled lives on a physical earth with Jesus himself. As Randy Alcorn suggests in his book, and I quote, On the new earth, we may experience adventures that make our current rock climbs, surfing, skydiving, and upside-down roller coaster rides seem tame. <laughs> I like that. Beloved, it's the prospect of this new earth and all that we will do there with Jesus that shapes our happiness today. It's like having something that you are really looking forward to. Maybe sometime you've scheduled an event or, or a trip someplace and, and just knowing that that is coming sort of influences you and gives you a smile and, and half of the enjoyment of it is the anticipation of it. That's heaven. Okay, the anticipation impacts life leading up to it as well. Listen to this as well. You know, the resurrection to new bodies and life on the new earth is especially going to be appreciated by the disabled because they are going to be liberated from all of their limitations. But also the sick and the elderly who will be free from pain and, and restrictions forever. They will walk, they will run, they will see, they will hear, some for the very first time. So my mother, my dear mom, turns 91 years old in eight days. And she lives down in DuPont. So we get to see her a fair bit. And uh, she's battling cancer right now for the third time. And she honestly is sort of a shell of what she used to be physically. But her spirit and her mind are very strong still. And I love to remind her of what she has to look forward to as a follower of Christ. I had that conversation with her yesterday. I said, Mom, I'm, I'm reading all these passages. I'm getting ready to preach about the new heavens and the new earth and the resurrection and the new body. And just think about it. You're dealing with all of the, this pain, all of the, the limitations you have now, but, but, but you're looking forward to a brand new body. You're looking forward to a brand new place to live, the restoration of all things. Indeed, the best is yet to come. Friend, just picture walking together with loved ones on a redeemed earth. We'll have powerful bodies, maybe even stronger than we've ever known here in this life. We'll be laughing and talking and playing and reminiscing together. And we'll enjoy living there with Jesus himself, worshiping him face to face. What happiness. What happiness. And that brings me to my final thought today. Everlasting happiness begins now. Everlasting happiness begins today. 
Christ's promise of happiness is not just pie in the sky, by and by. It begins now. He doesn't just want us to wait until we die to experience it. Now, Jesus said this. He, he said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And that word translated abundantly suggests something that is profuse in quantity and quality. A surpassingly happy life now. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. In the same way, God's word describes a full and satisfying life like this. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. That phrase, eternal life, appears 43 times in the New Testament. And I'm convinced that it means far more than just living forever. I believe it also means being happy forever. So if you're not happy today, or if your happiness isn't as deep as you had hoped that it would be, friend, you can relax. You can, you can take a deep breath because you are not missing out on your only opportunity to experience happiness. The time is coming for Christ's followers when there will be nothing you can do except be happy because you will be with Jesus. And it will never end. It will be everlasting happiness. The Bible makes clear that God doesn't want you to wait until heaven, though, to be happy. Okay? It's our privilege to experience it right now as well. So let's talk about how we can do that. Let's talk about some application steps. Next steps are, are four that I've got down there for you. Number one, I will live to hear Jesus say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. I can't think of anything I'd rather hear when I get to heaven than those words. Can you? I can't think of anything greater than to share in the happiness of my Savior. This is def definitely something that motivates me. I will live to hear Jesus say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. And of course, going along with that is taking steps now to ensure that's the case. Next step two is I will study and rethink my view of heaven. I will study and review my understanding or rethink my understanding of heaven. Maybe some of the things you heard today about heaven or about the resurrection or about the new heavens and the new earth sort of raised questions. I want to suggest that you take time to study that further. Be intentional to learn as much as you can about where you're heading as a follower of Jesus Christ. If you haven't already read Randy Alcorn's two books on happiness, that would be a great place to start. We still have, I think, three or four down in the uh, foyer at the small group table, or you can pick it up at the uh, library and read more. I will study and rethink my view of heaven. Next step number three. Since the best is yet to come, I choose to focus on the great new days to come rather than the good old days of the past. See, I think the tendency of our human hearts is to view the past as, you know, the good old days and to sort of minimize the future, or even to focus our, our, our minds on the, the problems all around us today. But clearly, God has a great future for us as His children. Great plans for us on a new earth where we will enjoy His presence forever. Indeed, the best is yet to come. We need to focus our thoughts and our dreams on the great new days that He has prepared and planned for us. And the 
best way I know to do that is to focus on getting close to him now. C.S. Lewis said this, If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want joy, power, peace, and eternal life, you must get close to the thing that has them. It's God who is the source of all of these gifts. And that's why our happiness is directly connected to our closeness with Him. Get close to Him. And finally, next step number four is I will simply fill in the blank. Whatever God's Spirit has been saying to you today, whatever verse stuck out to you today, just jot it down so you remember. And then perhaps some of you here today would like to turn to Christ today as the only source of lasting happiness. Friend, God wired you for incredible happiness, and you find that happiness ultimately only in Him. If you haven't found your happiness and fulfillment in what the world offers you, why not look to Jesus Christ today? Why not give Jesus a try? You know, the Bible says that we all have a sin problem, that we have all rebelled against the holy God who made us. In fact, that explains why there is so much happiness, unhappiness here in our world. But that's also why Jesus came into the world. God sent his son to come and to die in our place on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and to reconcile us with God, thereby making us happy eternally. And I'd like to give you the opportunity, if you've never yet done so, to trust Christ today and receive that eternal happiness in him. Would you pray with me, please? Let's bow. Father, we declare today what your word says about you, that you are the everlasting God. And everlasting happiness is in you. And it begins today for those who know you. Father, you are our joy and you are our strength. And in you and your son, Jesus, we find our salvation. Heaven is our confident assurance because we are bound for glory. That's what your word says. And friend, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus and his forgiveness and the happiness that he offers, I want to give you a chance to do so right now. I invite you to pray silently. Just pray silently in your heart of hearts to God something like this. Father God, I want your forgiveness. And I admit that I've sinned against you, that I can't earn your forgiveness, but I can receive it as a gift by faith in Jesus. And today I put my faith in your son Jesus that his death on the cross and his resurrection paid for me. That he forgave my sin so I could have eternal life and live forever with you. And so I invite Christ into my life to forgive me today. Thank you for that gift of eternal life. And Father, all of us say thank you for that amazing gift that you gave us in your son. And until the day that we see Jesus face to face, may we be biblical in our thinking and may we be faithful in our serving you. For it's in his strong, loving name we pray these things. And God's people said, amen. Thank you. God bless you.